0: Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. I am your host, Cameron Tuttabai. I'm joined by Alex Holberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. The Celtics are on a roll once again. They're pretty dang good at basketball, um, but we're also about a quarter of the way through the season, so we have some real things to discuss. To do exactly that, we bring in my friend and yours, Bobby Kravitzky of Sports Illustrated. Bobby, what's up? Hey, guys.
1: appreciate you having me on. First time appearance. Uh, Excited to get into all things Celtics.
0: Yeah, um, Bobby... Bobby knows hoops, he knows football, he also sits next to me at Celtics games, which is fun. Um, Bobby, you are here to talk about the past uh, winning streak, the longer winning streak that was before that, and really what's going on with the Celtics, and then in the second half of the program, and what we call the Celtics Lab, we're going to look at um, the Miami Heat, because Celtics are going to play them twice uh, in the next few days, and really the Eastern Conference writ large. Sound good? Yeah,
1: Absolutely. They've done a great job just handling business. Last night was their ninth straight win at TD Garden. And you talk about the two win streaks already building a second one now. They've won 13 of their last 14 contests. So this is a team that doesn't have Robert Williams yet, but has the most wins in the NBA and is absolutely rolling.
0: Yeah, I mean, they do have Luke Cornett. uh, So I'm not that that surprised. Uh, Okay, before we get into any of that, I want to tell our listeners that tomorrow... Wednesday at long last, we are going to do our giveaway. So if you're not following us on Twitter, at Celtics Lab on Twitter, check that out. That's going to be your best and, quite frankly, only way to participate in this giveaway. Um, So if you don't have Twitter, I guess you can email our, our email account. But otherwise, be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, Bobby, you teased it off the top. The Celtics are rocking and rolling after their nine games Win streak came to a halt. They're back to a four game win streak. I believe I have that right. Um, nine straight at the garden. And the past two games, they played the Wizards and then they played the Hornets back to back Knights. They've scored at least 130 points in either of those games. They were without a J in either of those games. Um, Bobby, biggest takeaway from the past 15 games three win, three game win streak, whatever. Who cares, Justin? Um, Bobby, biggest takeaway from this new win streak for the Celtics. So in these last two games, it's been the first half bludgeoning, and they
1: scored 72 without Jason Tatum against the Wizards, and then 78 without Horford or Brown Monday against the Hornets. And what that speaks to, which is a trend we've seen, it didn't start out this way, at least not in my opinion, but for a while now, they've done a good job of maintaining focus against Regardless of the caliber of competition. So, yes, the second unit, Missoula, maybe bringing Justin Jackson in the third quarter, Sunday against Washington, was a bit too early for a coach who usually people get on for being too late to take his top rotation guys out. But nonetheless, this team overall, for a good chunk of the campaign now, have maintained focus, continued to play the right game, no longer deviating from what's working and just continuing, like I said earlier, to bludgeon teams. And that's a refreshing change of pace. I wrote kind of a panic piece after Mm -hmm. they lost in Cleveland, where just breaking down, you know, with video of the second quarter of that game was one of their best of the season to that point. And they immediately followed up with one of their worst frames in the third. And it was this idea of, I understand this is a team that just wants to get to the playoffs. But the last thing that they can have is to get to the postseason and then look back with regret at how they treated those first 82. And this is a team right now that is far from what they showed that night in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, the first uh, few games and weeks of the season, it felt like maybe they weren't as focused as they clearly look right now. Um, Alex, you were in-house for the Wizards game on Sunday Sunday. What were your major takeaways from that one? And then Justin, you can tell us about the Hornets game.
2: Yeah. So I think the major takeaways for me, um, I, I had two major takeaways. The first is that the Celtics ball movement is, I, I can't remember the last time it's been this good. Frankly, I don't think I've ever seen a Celtics team. Probably
1: 1986.
2: Yeah. Something like <laughs> that. I, I don't think I've ever seen a Celtics team that knows how to move the ball this crisply and this effectively. Uh, their assist to turnover ratio is kind of staggering right now. And it's really, first off, Marcus Smart has put to bed any questions about whether he can be a starting point, in, point guard in this league. He is clearly capable of doing that. He's clearly capable of running an offense. And then, you know, to make matters worse for the rest of the league, Brad Stevens went out and got two other starting caliber point guards in Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White. As long as Derek White continues to shoot like this, he is as good as any starting guard in the league from just like a kind of you know, basic standpoint, like above average replacement level player. Like that guy is really good. And then the other thing that kind of stood out to me is that I think the Celtics, after having a a little disappointing start on the defensive end, given how incredible they were last year, are starting to settle in a little bit more there too, particularly their perimeter defense. While they're not forcing as many turnovers as they were last year, Um, They are rotating really well, cutting off driving angles and just staying in good positioning and communicating well throughout. And their defensive rebounding has shot up to levels that I really did not expect coming into the year, especially without Robert Williams. I think a big part of that is. Um, the team's commitment to boxing out and gang rebounding and Derek White and Al Horford doing a great job of cutting off point of attack angles. Um, Their their defense has gotten a lot better in a short amount of time and it's really impressed me.
0: Yeah, uh, a lot to love. Justin, the Hornets game, uh, I think uh, the first time the Celtics had 40 assists since 2008.
3: Um, something like that. Um, yeah. Also 45.1st quarter. I mean, <laughs> what, what do you say about this team? Uh, any, any hand-wringing about the defense, I think, is out the window. It's pretty clear this is an offense-oriented team. Is going to stay an offense-oriented team. The only thing that I can really add to what Alex was saying about the game before that is just that, you know, Luke Cornett is the the reserve big that they've been looking for. They don't need to go find another big. Uh, we can see that on any given night when his number is called, Blake Griffin and Peyton Pritchard can step in and make a positive contribution. Uh, maybe, you know, you don't want to necessarily have Blake out there for some of the, the the more robust, shall we say, front lines. But, I mean, for, you know, the Charlotte Hornets, when Al takes a night off, it's, he's totally, totally good to burn minutes. Uh, the dunks were a nice icing on the cake of what was really just one of the most dominant shellackings by a team i've seen ages i really don't know what to say about this team other than um i'm really excited to watch what comes next because there's very little to critique
0: yeah i last night i had parent-teacher conferences and if any of those parents are listening that's certainly the best way i could have spent my monday night but um holy moly uh bobby we are about a quarter of the way through the season Uh, I think we've alluded to this pretty firmly that the Celtics are in pretty good position, but where are you at on Joe Missoula? Just where he's at as a coach, how he's handling uh, his business. Where are you at with Joe?
1: Yeah. So as Justin referenced there, he is a coach that tilts offensively. And I think that's the right approach in sports in general. Now rule changes have made it so that offense matters more than defense. Of course, you have to be balanced and effective on both ends to win a championship. The Celtics, I understand the concerns defensively. There's certainly some relevance to it, but when you look at the metrics and how they stack up to the rest of the league, especially factoring in the absence of Robert Williams, I think they'll be just fine on that end and certainly far above that level once Williams is back, provided he stays healthy. Granted, that's quite the significant caveat given his injury history, but with Missoula specifically, to get back to the question here, I think that that run to the finals last year It highlighted the issues that needed addressing, and they spoke about them ad nauseum during the playoffs. Spacing, turnovers, pace, all these things that they were inconsistent in their execution of. And this season, Missoula, after seeing that, has really drilled it into them. So, of course, the players deserve a significant chunk of that credit as well. But what we're seeing is a team that is organized offensively. It feels like every possession... The ball is moving. They trust each other. They're making the right reads. Everyone stays involved throughout the course of each game. And then also, I think that something Marcus Smart brought up the other night is that Missoula does a great job of keeping them focused and of humbling them, to use his words, Smart. Missoula, after the game, they ask him about the great vibes and everything, and he says, don't count me in that. And he didn't seem pleased with how they took care of the ball. For my money and my vantage point, it was really just the first frame that that was an issue. I believe going off the top of my head, they had five turnovers in the first 12 minutes, but they finished with 13. So they did a pretty good job the rest of the night in that area. They did a good job with it against Washington as well, save for the sloppy second unit performance in the fourth quarter. So, you know, their third or their third fewest turnovers in the league in that category, which is another huge part of why they're so successful defensively when you can score at the clip they do, defend the three-point line in a top-five metric. So this team, to me, is rolling, and I think that Missoula has done a great job of keeping them focused and really drilling home the areas that they needed to be more consistent in.
0: Which is so fascinating, because to your point, he's he's eerily calm. Um, Pre- and post-game, he really doesn't tip his hand, and he really deflects when there is credit due uh, he complements his players' personalities. Um, so it's a really, really interesting um, dynamic because very publicly, and, and maybe, you know, uh, it's a honey, not vinegar situation, but the accountability does feel ratcheted up, and yet the intensity that's coming from Missoula s- seems almost absent, although I'm, I'm sure there's more that meets the eye. Um, Justin and Alex, pick any player in reserve, anyone outside of the Jays, um, just because – we have a ton in our rundown and I don't know where to start because whether it's Brogdon or smart um, or even Horford, you could really shout out any of the complimentary players uh, as a key to success. So
3: I'll just let you pick whoever you want to talk about for a little bit. Sam Hauser. Teams are targeting him on defense. It's not working. Just like, (laughs) like at what point are they going to realize that he's not as weak of a link as he was advertised as, which is the thing, honestly, that is one of the most interesting things that I've seen so far. And a little tiny shout-out, not not, I'll let other aspects of his game, if someone wants to pick him, Alex. Uh, But Peyton Pritchard's defense, he's been really good too. And he hasn't been playing very much, but when he has, he's been totally fine. There are no obvious weak links on this team defensively.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll just offer because Alex is on mute that that uh, Hauser is sneaky strong. Um, I, he's very barrel chested. I think he's stronger than people realize. And then Pritchard is just frenetic. I think Pritchard really works to make sure he's not a defensive liability today. To take nothing away from Hauser, um, but Alex, yeah, um, any player that you want to shout out.
2: Yeah, I'm going to swing back the other way towards a player that uh, I think defensively his fundamentals were never in question, but has started to really blossom as an offensive player. And that's Grant Williams, who has been in and out of the starting lineup, depending on the situation. But one thing that Grant Williams has really started to incorporate into his game in a pretty effective and interesting way is now using the threat of his three-point shooting to get to the basket much more efficiently, which has really opened up a lot for the Celtics offense when he's on the floor. Grant Williams, obviously, last year blossomed into a very high-level corner three-point shooter, especially. But this year, what he's been doing a lot more of is incorporating pump and drive into his game, where he'll throw up a shot fake from the corner. And because he's on the scouting report as such a good three-point shooter, you have to close out on him. He's using his size and strength and taking just kind of two quick steps into the lane and then using just like muscle to score over people. Um, it's not the prettiest or most elegant driving game in the way that like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Malcolm Brogdon's is, but it's really effective and he's now shooting a career high from the paint as a result. So I think just, you know, Joe Missoula mentioned that one of the strengths of this Celtics team Uh, offensively is that they play random, that he doesn't actually call a lot of set plays. He doesn't run a ton of very specific actions for them. One thing that he has done a lot of is let players just kind of make quick reads on the floor and then trust that they're going to execute that. And I think Grant finding his identity as an offensive player and adding in just another wrinkle to his game is another example of the Celtics like playing random and having it work out for them.
0: So Bobby, uh, I want to ask you about some lineup changes. Maybe we can get into, you know, the possibility of a trade down the line or something, but as we've kind of established, the Celtics are rocking and rolling and really everyone's contributing. Um, the, the major change that's to come is that Rob Williams is going to come back into the fold. And I said tongue in cheek over the weekend, uh, to a friend, if you squint, Luke Cornette does a really good Rob Williams. Um, and The more I think about it, the less tongue-in-cheek I think that might have actually been. Um, In 13 minutes, uh, 13 and a half minutes of gameplay, he's averaging over a block a game. Um, He's a real lob threat. So uh, what do you think happens when they bring Time Lord back, which incidentally is sooner rather than later, although perhaps we'll still have to wait till Christmas. But yeah, Bobby, the impact of bringing Time Lord back. I think there's two other elements of Luke Cornett that are really
1: valuable defensively I do have some I think that we have not determined yet definitively if he is a playoff caliber rotation center on that end of the floor he might be but it's still an open book in this in my opinion at least Mm -hmm. offensively however he's a really effective screen setter and like Robert Williams he's not as good but he is an effective passer who's smart makes quick decisions and makes the right read and moves it immediately so I really like Luke Cornett in those regards. And then I think that a lot of people, especially when projecting over the summer, what he might bring to the table focused on him being a stretch big who can hit threes. Well, he probably is good for one a game. So it's less about that value and more about being more reliable in other roles to help other players score or be that vertical spacer that they really don't have a ton of options with, with Robert Williams sidelined at the moment. And then when it comes to um, Luke Cornett and just what he's able to bring to this team right now and how it looks with Robert Williams coming back, it's going to be interesting because in the playoffs, what happens, and Justin, this goes to your point about do they need a trade or not, it, It's I think we'll see a lot of staggering where it's Rob or Al on the court at all times, much like they do with the Jays, and that diminishes that need to go out and sacrifice Peyton Pritchard to bring in a center like a Yakup Pirtle. I also think, I don't want to move too far ahead here on the rundown, but I think Grant Williams and Alex, you nailed it there. He's done a great job of pairing his Tennessee strengths and being so effective around the rim with his evolution at the next level. I think Grant Williams is at the center of that Yakup Pirtle conversation for the Celtics and the idea that they could justify perhaps being more balanced on paper, moving forward with Pirtle, who's going to need a contract compared to Grant, but Joe Missoula seems more comfortable and tilting towards playing one big at a time compared to two. So Robert Williams, when he's ready, he'll start alongside Al Horford. But I think that for most of the game, it'll be one center on the floor at a time. And so, Cam, that's how it will affect rotations, and it'll have a trickle-down effect all the way to the guards as well. It's going to make life tougher on Peyton Pritchard, but it certainly justifies that as long as they feel like they're going to manage Robert Williams properly and have him for a title run, then they don't need to go out and trade Pritchard for a center.
0: So you're out on a fertile trade?
1: I, I think it's all about how they feel with Robert Williams. I spoke to an orthopedic surgeon who has a fellowship in sports medicine, and one of the key points that he highlighted is every surgery and PRP injection that Robert Williams has undergone since his late March, early April uh, meniscal trim. Since then, nothing has required a time frame for recovery. Everything is about letting the skin heal, for example. So the way that he's built up, his chance of an injury are the same once he gets cleared, whether he comes back immediately, you hold him out for the sake of caution, or he comes back next season. That injury rate is exactly the same for the Time lord which does speak to someone who has been training more for stamina and things of that nature right now than needing to rehab his knee.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Also kind of gross. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I, the, the skin thing really threw me for a loop. Um, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's great. Um, okay, let's pause the action and talk about our friends over at betonline.ag. And then we got a little bit more news before we hit the lab. Football is back, and so is the NBA, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your football and basketball betting needs and all other sports this season. Find all the latest odds, news, and game matchups all season long. BetOnline is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, Make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive that reward bet online where the game starts. And in the interest of promos, follow our Twitter and like and subscribe and yada, yada, yada. Okay, Um, because, uh, well, actually, we are talking about Luke Cornett, the tallest American player and the uh, fifth tallest NBA player right now. Um, The man who would be the tallest NBA player is Taco Fall, but he is now playing over in China, and he weighed in on, um, I'll just say a tweet I did about Jalen Brown making the All-Star game. He said, if not, we riot, which is funny because Taco seems like the most peaceful person I've ever met. Um, So let's talk about awards and stuff, just because our friend Taco Fall brought it back into the fold. Um, Bobby, how many All-Stars are the Celtics going to have? I think it's going to be two. I think it's
1: the Jays. I understand there's a growing movement from Celtics fans on social media, to get Marcus Smart in there. I think he's (laughs) somewhere in that conversation. But when you're making this list, it's pretty easy to leave him off it, quite frankly, as well as he's playing. I look at it, and I don't know if we want to get into all the possible candidates from the East, but there are so many, especially at the guard position, that ultimately I think it's Tatum and Brown who get the nod. Alex, Justin,
3: any uh, rebuttal there? He deserves it. He's not going to get it, but he deserves it. I mean he, he's yeah, yeah, I mean, like distribution and defense are all-star caliber-worthy qualities in a player, but they don't tend to be rewarded. So, yeah, I agree.
2: Here is what I'll say about the market Smart All-Star case. I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are just locks. Let's just get that out of the way. They, those guys are going to be on the All-Star team. For the market Smart All-Star case... Um, if Drew Holiday can make the All Star team, averaging, you know, whatever it is that he averaged the last time he made it, which I think, if memory serves me correctly, it was about 17 points and eight assists, something like that. If Drew Holiday can make the All Star game, then I don't think it's a crazy stretch to say that Marcus Smart can also make the All Star game. I think the thing that's standing between Marcus is less his play. And more, just the fact that the East is now loaded at the guard position with Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, Dejounte Murray, Tyrese Halliburton, all of these players that are now really making genuine, solid All Star bids. Um, but I agree with you, JQ. I think that he's playing at arguably an All Star level when you factor in defense uh, assist to turnover ratio, improved shooting. He's you know shooting forty eight percent from deep on the season right now which is a pretty significant upgrade for Marcus Smart um but uh and small sample size obviously but um you know i think uh overall he's he's playing well enough to warrant it the biggest obstacle for him is just the fact that the east is loaded at the guard position but you never know
0: well um all stars are are nice nods um Good job in advance, I guess, to the Jays and perhaps Marcus Smart. Uh, The Celtics might be in the running for some other accolades. I just looked at betonline.ag. You'll find different odds in different places, but according to betonline, our our great friends, Jason Tatum has the number one MVP odds. Joe Missoula has the number one coach of the year odds. And Malcolm Brogdon has the number four six man of the year odds. You'll find slightly different uh, positions for those guys at different sports books, but our friends over at bet online see pretty high on the Celtics Bobby pick one who's most likely to actually win their respective award. It's the most
1: lofty one but it's Jason Tatum for MVP. I'm glad to hear that bet online is in agreement with me because at the moment I have Tatum in the lead. It's him, Curry and Doncic and you can justify reshuffling that order however you see fit, but to me Tatum when you factor in everything from Defensively, how well he's performing, not shying away from the most difficult challenge on the opposition. Whether it's John ja Morant, and we knew that going into that Dallas game that Luka Doncic, Tatum's the ideal person to have matched up with him. It was just a question of his ankle. How often will he do it? And he started to do it a couple times out of necessity for the Celtics. Doncic was hunting Al Horford and Sam Hauser and scoring on them at will. And then Tatum stepped up to the challenge and shut him down. And it only took a couple of tries for Doncic to say, okay, that's off the menu. I want no part of this. (laughs) And when you look at Tatum, what he's doing there, when you look at, I understand Steph Curry, how he shapes Golden State's offense. And he's certainly doing more with less help right now than Tatum. But Tatum and four members of the second unit, those lineups have changed the complexion of the game on multiple occasions in boston's favor so i look at how well he's performing on both ends of the court the consistency that he's out there almost every night the minutes total he checks every box to me and when you look at his two-way performance to go with it i have tatum
0: in the lead oh i love that uh dr quinn alex uh who's walking away with hardware from your vantage point
2: I think there's a real chance that Joe Missoula is going to wind up as coach of the year, particularly if the Celtics finish with the number one overall record, which, of course, they are marching towards right now um, in a in an Eastern conference that I think a lot of people heading into the season agreed was going to be the more competitive of the two conferences. and so far that's played out particularly with the rise of the cleveland cavaliers with the fact that Giannis and the bucks are still holding strong and only going to get better upon the return of chris middleton if the celtics can actually pull this thing off and finish with the number one overall seed i, I just feel like it would be really hard to say that joe Missoula hasn't earned that coach of the year award especially given the historic offense that they're playing i mean i just it's it's a narrative-based award Coach of the year often goes to uh, whoever has like a, you usually have to have like a top two record in their conference to even be in the running and looking at the other candidates who are probably going to be in the running, Monty Williams, Mike Budenholzer, um, you know, I, I think a lot of previous winners, guys like Mike Malone, coach of the year, they tend to reward the newcomer. Rather than the repeat winner, more often than not. So I think if the Celtics finish with a top two record in the Eastern Conference, Joe Mazzu is going to be right there.
0: I mean, right now the the other coaches in that ilk, Joe Missoula is a plus two fifty, but then Will Hardy is a plus five hundred and Rick Carlisle is a plus six hundred. So you'd have to bet on those teams. Alex, to your point, winning and continuing to win for those bets to probably pan out. Um, I'm not a betting man, but it seems like there's some value. If if you're uh, feeling bullish on you know the pacers or the jazz. Uh Dr. Quinn, what about you? Any hardware that you see come in the Celtics way?
3: I do think that Tatum is the more likely of the two. Uh I have some homework for us. Has an interim coach ever won coach of the year before? I don't know. Uh you don't I mean name. it would necessitate. Instinctively, him. You would think no. Yeah, Yeah. but, I mean, maybe, you know, because, I mean, that is, you know, we haven't really, like, touched the elephant in the room with Coach of the Year, but, like, Mozilla was not just dealing with, you know, playing well, right? Like, the need to play well as a newcomer. He also had, like, a bunch of other things that were really weighing on the team enough where the Celtics went from, like, a lock to make it back to the NBA finals to a lot of people openly questioning whether or not they were going to be able to function as a team with so many things going on and him being a new coach with so so many things to deal with. He's done all of that and then more. Uh, I mean, it's very hard in my mind to construct a more compelling narrative.
0: Few coaches have won titles in their first year, Nick Nurse, Paul Westhead, a few others. Um, but I don't know about the interim thing. I mean, it would require the Celtics, you know, holding on to that label technically.
2: I'm gonna uh, do the homework for you. The answer to that question is no. There has never been an interim head coach in the NBA who has won uh, Coach of the Year.
0: Cool, fascinating. Um, all right, let's hop into the lab. But actually, sorry, gentlemen, that was a trick question. The the hardware that is going to be won by the Boston Celtics this year is Brad Stevens winning Executive of the Year because um goodness gracious is this a well-constructed roster but i couldn't find odds on it so it it wasn't available to you you didn't know that okay bobby we're going to hop into the lab Let's put on your your safety goggles and we're going to talk about the east but really we're going to start good job the youtube crowd is going <laughs> to love that my um, version of luke Cornet. yeah yeah <laughs> um we're going to look at the east but we got to start with the heat the dreaded Miami Heat because the Celtics will play two games against them this week, Wednesday and Friday. So, um, you know, the Heat are struggling with injury. They uh, had a tepid about 500 record, they 10 11 at the time of this recording. Bobby, what's your sense of where the Heat are at right now in late November and these two games coming up? I think the biggest thing is the
1: misusage of Tyler Hero continues. This team doesn't have much offensive firepower. It's why the Eastern Conference Finals should not have gone seven games. And I understand they've been dealing with the Jimmy Butler injury. And so he's not going to play Wednesday. The expectation, it sounds like they're confident that he plays Friday. So my guess is that he does. At the same time, they just, I don't understand how they could watch Tyler Hero excel in the bubble in a certain role and stick to this idea that he's going to create more offense off the dribble foot. He needs to be someone who is more heavily, not exclusively, but the, the ratio of how much he's creating off the catch compared to how much they're asking him to initiate offense, to me, is skewed in the wrong direction. So I'd like to see him be someone, if you're a Miami Heat fan, who, again, it's more trusting, Kyle Lowry in particular, as well as Jimmy Butler, to drive, utilize Bam out of Bios effectiveness, as a screener, and then kick it out to Tyler Hero and let him be a secondary playmaker. playmaker, Excuse me. That's where you see him with the floater, or if he has enough space to launch a three, or then you can come over and run screen and roll and hope that he can just step into a three off of one dribble. So I don't think that they're utilizing Tyler Hero properly. And you see it in them scoring their 28th in points per game. That's a number that it's not surprising but it needs to go up if they're going to do anything beyond uh just be a middle tier eastern conference team defensively they've been really impressive with that backbone of lowry butler when healthy and bam who i think is an all-star as well or at least worthy of a nod and so they're allowing the eighth fewest points per game at the time we're talking here but again when you speak to concerns with this team They're not getting much help from their second unit. They have a negative one and a half plus minus rating. That's 23rd in the NBA. And Kyle Lowry, they are wearing him into the ground at 36.4 minutes. So yes, it's great to see him take that public challenge issued to him by Pat Riley and perform much better than he did a season ago and resemble Toronto Raptors' Kyle Lowry. But at the same time, I don't believe he can sustain this workload and that level of production.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Heat, it's still early, but the injuries are kind of piling up. Jimmy Butler is likely going to miss Wednesday's game, for example. Um, I love rooting for Kyle Lowry, but I suspect you're right that it's just asking maybe too much of him. Um, Bobby, the Heat, as you alluded to, their offense is nothing to write home about, but their defense is, despite the injuries, pretty good. They're ranked number seven um, right now. Both games are in Boston. Um, The Celtics already won a game down in Miami, but with that, slow, rather ineffective offense, but pretty stingy defense. How does Boston not get lulled into a rock fight?
1: I think that they, they have to be
0: able to more than anything to
1: break out of when Miami's able to slow the pace down. I think that they have to be really physical and assertive when it comes to their on and off ball movement. Miami is a team that is not just going to give you a free path to come set a screen or to cut across to get to the basket. So Celtics need to be forceful and purposeful with their on and off ball activity. And the other thing, as we saw when Sacramento made a little bit of a run and Dallas in particular Cam did the same thing is that the Celtics, if you slow the pace down on them, they do still have that habit of everyone starts to get stagnant and just remain stationary. They get to a spot and they stay there. There's not much activity. So that's something that if the heat are able to take control of the pace of play, One of those ways to break out of it is to continue doing what's successful and why the Celtics will have a lead, You know, I'm going to guess, of double digits in the first half, and that is continue to move and stay active, keep the ball moving, keep doing all these things that we've been praising them for, because that is the key to making sure that the Heat aren't able to sustain maintaining control of the terms of play.
2: And I I totally agree, Bobby, and I think the way to start and where it all starts with the Celtics offense is with Jason Tatum and in particular with Jason Tatum as an off-ball screener, which is a development to his game that I think some people maybe haven't noticed as much but that has been pretty crucial for his evolution as an offensive player and for the Celtics offensive evolution as a whole. Um, When Tatum is in screening actions, particularly off the ball, he is now such a scoring threat that the defense has to account for him in a Steph Curry type of way where um, multiple defenders are watching. Where is Tatum going? When he's setting the screen, is he gonna pop out? Is he gonna dive to the rim? they have to be aware of where he's at on the floor at all times. And if he is setting a screen like a pin down screen on the baseline for a shooter, like Sam, a movement shooter, like Sam Hauser, or for somebody who can get the ball and then immediately drive to the basket, like Malcolm Brogdon, that creates a ton of pressure on a team like Miami's defense or really any team's defense um, to maintain their kind of composure on whatever side Tatum is on when he's setting those screens, to stay disciplined, make sure that he doesn't get loose for a layup or for a mismatch or for an open three. And in doing that, that leaves dudes like, okay, now Jalen Brown is suddenly open for a secondary action, or now Grant Williams or Derek White is camping out in the corner and you have to do an extra rotation over to cover that. You know, a lot of this really starts with Tatum's relative selflessness and willingness to get involved in the offense, not just as the ball handler, not just as the like playoff hero ball guy, which he can be, and we know he can be, but also as uh, somebody who's kind of willing to do the kind of quieter, the unspoken dirty work stuff. And if he can do that, and if he can do that from the jump, then I think Miami's going to have a very hard time stopping that.
0: Justin, Miami... Really interestingly, they have split a home and home against the Raptors. They went on the road and beat Portland. Then they lost uh, at home against Portland. They beat Golden State at home. They lost to Golden State on the road. They have some nice wins. They have some excusable losses and then some stuff in between. Um, So what is your assessment of what the next two games look like for the Celtics?
3: Well, they need to capitalize with Jimmy being out. I think that's a, a, a probable win. I think they're going to go, go for the win with that. Uh, it's the game where he returned that worries me. I feel like if they can exploit their size and the fact that when they do play small, that they don't play a style that Miami wants to play in the first place, that they will be good. They don't have the heat, have no players. I think, uh, their starting power forward, uh, is six foot five and Caleb Martin. They have, they have some seven footers, but, uh, as far as I know, Dwayne Dedman is currently questionable for at least the game, uh, the next game against the Heat. And that leaves them uh, with Orlando Robinson on a two-way. Omer Yurtseven is going to be out for some time. Uh, Nikola Jovic is a uh, rookie. I- I'm not expecting much from their front court, so that's definitely an area of weakness that Boston can capitalize on.
0: I'm doing the Luke Cornette. The Cornish. Yes. Everything that Luke Cornette has nicknames or not. The Eclipse is dumb the calling him that jump you got to do something better than that and the cornish game hand, hand thing everything I thought you like
1: nailed it with that nickname the cornish game hand is what it has to be but that
0: would be like plus we already got a chicken on the team with uh, we don't, don't, we don't need
1: to be sticklers about the facts here it just works it just sounds correct
0: all right i mean i guess yeah if it's Cornet and gallinari it could be the coop okay i'm coming around to that one um so let's uh don't give me that look, Justin. Um, we are, we'll are. we talk about uh, a few other kind of confusing or maybe not confusing middle-class Easter Conference teams because Miami is one of them. But Boston has a really interesting uh, schedule up ahead. I'm going to read it out, and then just as a fan of basketball, what game are you most excited about? I'll go around the horn on that one. So you can have one of the Miami games. Then the Celtics are going to play on the road. Brooklyn, Toronto, Phoenix, Golden State. Uh, and then the Clippers and the Lakers, I think you can make a case that any one of those games is the most interesting on the docket. Bobby, uh, between now and December 13th, what game do you think is most interesting?
1: So if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy for that Clippers game, it might vault all the way to the top of my rankings. But to err on the side of caution here, I'm going to go with that Phoenix Suns matchup, a Western Conference foe. So you're only going to see him twice and haven't seen him yet a team that you might face in the final. So it certainly could be a preview of what happens in that best of seven for the Larry O'Brien trophy in June. And, And I'm curious to see how the Celtics, especially without Robert Williams, handle matching up with DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul, I'm not sure what his return date is, but what does that look like if he's playing for them? And Devin Booker, of course, another chance for Jason Tatum to help his MVP case out because we know that he's not afraid to guard him. And he's going to have a size advantage if Booker wants the smoke. And most importantly, he's going up against someone in Mikhail Bridges, who feels like he got snubbed for defensive player of the year last season. So that's a chance, again, at both ends of the floor for Tatum to help his case and for the Celtics to flex their muscle, not against the Wizards or the Hornets of the world, but against another NBA title contender.
0: Sure. Alex, most interesting game on that, it. Uh, that mini lineup.
2: It's gotta be the rematch. I am so ready. I I have had a taste for vengeance the entire year since the Golden State Warriors won game six on the Celtics home floor last year in the NBA finals. Um, I think that the Celtics are going to be incredibly motivated in that game to get a little payback on a Golden State Warriors team that is, is coming together. It's actually, you know, despite having, I think a sleepy start, Um, Steve Kerr is starting to shorten their rotation a little bit. Steph Curry is playing out of his mind right now. A clear cut MVP candidate. Klay Thompson is looking a little bit more comfortable. Um, And the Warriors, I think, despite their slow start, um, have earned the right to be considered a serious threat to win the title in any given year, as long as Steph Curry is healthy. Um, So I'm really looking forward to the rematch. I would like to see that game, uh, I wanted, I would like to see the Warriors in the finals again. Like I, I'm foaming at the mouth for that action. So give me that one.
3: Dr. Quinn? Well, Alex is right. Let's just make sure to make that abundantly clear. Uh, but <laughs> if you were not, uh, I would be very curious to see how the Nets game goes. They're going to be traveling to Brooklyn. Uh, there are still probably some shall We say awkward feelings between organizations, at least among the fans, if not the players. Uh, so seeing the Celtics beat the crap out of the Nets will always be enjoyable for those of us who had their summer vacations, uh, interrupted by something. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. All sorts of things. Um, made
1: for good content,
0: though. Yeah, a lot of clicks. Um, uh, interestingly, and uh, I would maybe use the word pathetically, uh, you can get. Clippers-Celtics tickets for Monday, December 12th for, according to the thing I'm looking at, as low as $30. Um, and the next night to watch the Celtics play the Lakers, it's $106, um, which is not surprising, but to quantify it is kind of sad. Uh, if you're in the Bay and you want to watch the Golden State Warriors play, it's a smooth $170 for that Celtics tilt. Um, yeah, but, I think yeah, they have the
1: know. most expensive tickets in the league.
0: Yeah, no, I and I think they're
1: exactly yeah
0: i'm gonna be in the bay uh next week and i kind of want to go to a warriors game but i i'm gonna be with people so i I, i'm not gonna cover it i'm gonna go as a fan and that calculus changes anyways that's a me problem bobby we will spend a few more minutes if you don't mind and um we're just going to talk about what is a confusing crop of teams i think in the east some of whom the celtics will play actually in order um so we don't need to spend too much time on on it because it's still early and also these teams might stink, but let's run through some of these interesting middle-class Eastern Conference teams. We'll we'll do the same thing. We'll go around the horn. So maybe give me 10 to 30 seconds on how you feel about this team. Uh, We already did Miami. Anyone have any other thoughts on Miami? Cool. Miami is 10 and 11. Yeah, Alice.
2: The only thought that I have for Miami is I'm still just not sure what the plan is for them at the four spot. Like I've seen a little bit of Caleb Martin. He's been solid, but I just, I kind of feel like one of the reasons that I'm a little dubious about their chances is because Jimmy Butler, while he can play big at times, we know he can, particularly in the playoffs, he really doesn't have the size to match up with the elite fours of the uh, Eastern Conference. And, you know, I, I like Caleb Martin. I think he's a nice role player. But if you're trying to win the title, it strikes me that I feel like they need they need another wrinkle. And in particular, they need a large wrinkle, some extra size to help Bam Adebayo out there a little bit. So I'll be curious to see what they do at the trade deadline. I know they've been spending a lot of time trying to shop Duncan Robinson to whoever will take him uh, and you know, there, there might be a need for that for somebody, but it seems like they really need a four.
0: You're probably right about that. I, I mean, I'm never going to bet against Eric Spolstra. So at, at 10 and 11, who knows what will become of the Miami Heat? All right. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are 11 and 11. I think we kind of already know what's going on with them off the court. But on the court, Bobby, what do you think of this Nets team, you know, from an X's and O's perspective?
1: I think they're playing better. It started while Kyrie was out under Jacques Vaughn. And one of the noteworthy just changes that happened was that game against Dallas where Kevin Durant comes out in the second half and takes it upon himself to guard Luka Doncic. And he's getting up into his chest and in his airspace and did a really impressive job and just carried the load at both ends of the floor. And now you're seeing more production out of players lower down the list like Royce O'Neill. Joe Harris is starting to get more comfortable. And most importantly for them, Ben Simmons, you know, we just absolutely crush him every time he has a bad performance as if he didn't just miss an entire season's worth of basketball dealing with, you know, anxiety and mental health issues and a back injury and everything. But he's starting to look more like himself defensively. And I I think they've really done a much better job of challenging him offensively to the point that he's calling out Kevin Durant, for passing up a dunk, that he's playing aggressively. He was really the only one that showed up in Philadelphia. So you can also, one way to to slice that is it's an encouraging sign that given the context of it all, that Ben Simmons was not afraid of the challenge or the environment or anything like that and had himself a pretty good game. It was more disappointing that his teammates didn't have his back that night. So Ben Simmons starting to turn around is an encouraging development for Brooklyn. They have plenty of flaws defensively, and there's all kinds of volatility when you look up and down that roster and on and off-court issues. But at the same time, it is a team that's 6-4 and in their last 10 games, winners of two straight. And I I think they're starting to turn it around. And we certainly know that there's a title contender within them, even if they don't ultimately look the part of that come the playoffs.
0: Sure.
3: Let me also throw in that they might be getting a double-digit scoring uh, forward who will help fill a position of need for them back again fairly soon in T.J. Warren. And if he stays healthy, which is, again, another big if in terms of that regard, uh, they're going to be a pretty good team. You know, they're going to be a better than 500 team. I don't know if their defensive issues are going to be solved, uh, but they will be a at least play-in team, and they, they may even threaten for home court.
0: Sure. I really like Ben Simmons as a villain. I think, uh, me, Kevin Durant is rubbing off on him, but yeah, Bobby, to your point, not just he, you know, he tried as, as well as he could against Philly, but before and after he, he was a lot more playful with the narratives. He seemed just like more comfortable and maybe he'll never shoot the basketball well, but he's a physically imposing guy. So he can be a little chesty. Um, so I like Ben Simmons kind of going on the rhetorical uh, offensive a little bit. He's, he's a funny guy. Um, all right. Toronto 11 and to nine Pascal Siakam has been hurt. Um, both not surprising at all. And a little surprising that this is where they're at. Bobby, you get first bite of the apple again. What do you think of the Raptors?
1: The injuries have been a killer. Scotty Barnes was out for a while as well, but Siakam to me, even with that injury absence has played at an all-star level. Does he get in? We'll see. But him and Fred Van Fleet, and you kind of talked about it without saying it specifically, a Nick Nurse coach club is going to be a pain to deal with. They're going to play well. And so 11-9 and 9 seems right. It could be higher if they were healthier, but as is life in sports. And so to me, I- I'm very impressed with Toronto. And you can clearly see that this is a team that no one's going to want to deal with early in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, it's same story. They're just rangy. They play well. They do the right thing. Um, I'm very, very inclined to agree. Alex, what about you?
2: Uh, you know, I think the kind of most underreported story for the Toronto Raptors and why they've been able to stay afloat is that OG Ananobi is quietly having a defensive player of the year level season. Um, he's been rock solid on that end and kind of the anchor for a team that really has lost uh due to injury some of their kind of premium defensive talent not just in pascal siakam and uh in uh, last year's rookie of the year scotty barnes but also in precious chua who is i mean it seems like he's that's their starting center is probably going to be out it seems like indefinitely maybe for the entire season at this point um who knows but um, they've they've had a pretty significant talent drain. And, you know, as good of a coach as Nick Nurse is, and I, I think he's a very good one, um, at a certain level, you need to have the guys on the floor who are capable of running those schemes. You need to have uh, NBA caliber players who can actually do what Nurse's schemes ask of them. And uh, OG has been lights out consistent every night that he's on the court on the defensive end he's really blossoming into an elite defender and uh at his position and kind of a big part of why this raptors team is held together and you know they are getting healthy i do think that they're going to start to kind of slowly climb their way back up the eastern conference seat standings i had them projected as a six seed but with high upside for this year and I, I think that's right around where i have them now
0: yeah so uh Boston will see Miami at home Wednesday and Friday. Then they'll be in Brooklyn on Sunday. And then they'll be in Toronto on Monday. So it worked out well that these teams are all, you know, mid-laying. Um, well, let's just look at a few more of the teams that are kind of in that ilk. And then we'll get you out of here, Bobby. Um, Bobby, tell us about Aaron Neesmith's Indiana Pacers. They are 12-9 uh, I, I lo- the right now. Yeah, sorry to cut 20, you up at 20, the end of the yeah. question,
1: but this is such a fun team to watch. Last night, the Andrew Nemhard game winner. That was a great read from Tyrese Halliburton on the pass. I think a play right before it that got lost in the shuffle is the Pacers showed their hand. They were ready to have that sideline inbounds. And the referees stopped play to make sure they had the clock right. And you could see it wasn't just Rick Carlisle, a coach, a coach is going to be frustrated. Of course, a coach, excuse me, is going to be frustrated by that. The players were exasperated. Some of them had hands on the knees. And what do they do? They inbound it. And yes, it's the Lakers. But Tyrese Halliburton slices through them for a relatively easy layup to tie the game. LeBron scores. They come right back with the game-winning three off an offensive rebound. And they're fun to watch. Benedict Matherin, he was talking about LeBron has to prove it to me. I'm pretty sure that he outscored (laughs) him. You know, maybe that last bucket changed it. But he was certainly ahead of him for most of the night and had an excellent game. I think Matherin, you know, I was curious, Cam, when you brought up that Brogdon is fourth in the sixth man race. I was curious where Matherin is in that because that could be potentially... Uh, say so second, that could be potentially another first where a rookie wins six man. I'm not sure if that's happened or not in NBA history, but he he second in the bet online poll right there in the odds and he's having an excellent season. I think at some point, maybe they don't want to disrupt the role he's in, but they probably could slide him into the starting lineup. I'm curious if they can get more out of Jalen Smith as a center. And there's obviously the question of what happens with Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, but this team is really good. And Tyrese Halliburton to me is an
0: all-star. Well, so that's, well, that's a really interesting point body is that Matherin is number two, according to bet online for six man odds behind Russell Westbrook. And one thing that could upend that is Russell Westbrook joining the Indiana Pacers. So um, as much as it is about role and performance, it's also about, who ends up on what team um, by February. Um, Alex, what were you
2: gonna say about the Pacers? Well, one quick note, uh, once again, doing some facts and research over here. Uh, There is one person who has won the uh, six man award as a rookie is Ben Gordon. Oh, Uh, Oh. Ben Gordon of the Chicago Bulls, his rookie year won six man of the year award. Go figure. Um, Sorry to cut you off there, Cam. But no, I I think this Pacers team is really fun. And to kind of circle back to this, you know, much debated and much talked about uh, fictional trade of Russell Westbrook to the Indiana Pacers for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, I see you shaking your head, JQ, and I'm kind of on the same wavelength there. Why would the Pacers do that? They're fun. Why would would the Lakers do that? Why would why would either of them do that? I mean, we but, know why the Lakers would do that,
3: but why should yes. they do
2: that? But but There's a reason the reason
1: the front office has resisted it. They don't want yeah. to give up multiple picks to make this happen.
2: Absolutely not. And the thing the thing is, the Pacers are now in a position where after a couple of years of being a pretty middling, pretty just kind of run of the mill, forgettable team, they're fun. Like, this is an enjoyable team to watch. You know, Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton are forming one of the most exciting young backcourts in the league. Chris Duarte is injured right now, but he had a really nice season last year. And uh, I expect him to come back and do some pretty cool stuff when he's back in the lineup. Miles Turner and Buddy Heald are both good players who serve as veteran anchors for this team. And at this point in the season, I know we're only almost a quarter of the way there, but the Pacers, even if they did trade those guys, I think would probably still have two good uh, players in their backcourt enough to carry them a little bit past the tank for Wembenyama zone to the point that it just kind of doesn't seem worth it. It doesn't seem like they can get Russell Westbrook in. Like One of the reasons you would trade for Russell Westbrook, uh, presumably, is to clear up a lot of cap room for him for his expiring next year. The problem is that the indiana pacers don't get free agents so they're not going to like do anything major with that huge cap room to begin with i get that there's a little bit of anxiety around miles turner's contract and what that's going to look like coming up but i just don't see a path to them trading for russell westbrook he doesn't help them now i don't think he helps them a ton in the future. And I guess the logic would be like, you're doing it for the picks, but the Lakers are clearly not going to trade those picks. That's just not going to happen. So I, I, I really don't see it. I feel like this Pacers team might make a couple of periphery moves to shore up their rotation a little bit, but it seems to me like they're trying to make a playoff run. They're not in the tank zone. So.
0: Playoff run, nothing. They're fourth in the East right now. They're uh, three solid games ahead of the Chicago Bulls who are 11th. So it's early, but. Yeah, I I mean, barring injuries, the the run has begun. Um, Bobby, we've kept you long enough. We saw what the Wizards look like. We've seen what the Hawks look like. Um, So unless you have a burning hot take that you got to get off your chest, I think the listeners know enough about those two teams. Um, And we started with just gushing about how good the Boston Celtics are, and we're going to end with there's a lot of good, not great teams in the East. Um, so this was kind of a kitchen sink episode, but I do think we'd and like start to summarize. you at the top, got to slide down. Yeah, exactly. Um, in summary, the, the trade between the Pacers and the Lakers won't happen. The Celtics are very good. And um, we love Luke Cornett here at the Celtics Lab Podcast. Um, Bobby, tell the people where they can find you. Thank you. So the best way to find me is one,
1: si.com slash NBA slash Celtics. And then also I have a Twitter addiction so at Bobby Kravitsky, for those of you watching, <laughs> glad to share it, Justin. And those of you watching on screen, you can see how that last name is spelled. But if you're listening to just the audio version, it's not the easiest to try and guess at. So that is B-O-B-B-Y-K-R-I-V as in Victor, I-T-S-K-Y.
0: Tremendous. Yeah. One to another. Sometimes you just got to spell it out. All right, uh, like we said off the jump, we've got a giveaway coming at you as soon as tomorrow. So if you're not already following at Celtics Lab on Twitter, go ahead and make sure you're doing that. You can win yourself some swag. Otherwise, thanks for listening and we'll catch you soon. Adios.